Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is Me Speak Babel, part 12 of The Gate of God. Um, we're almost done with the series. We got four or five episodes to go. This title is Who, or rather, What is the Enemy? So let's recap and roll through the cast of characters, the who's who in the three falls of man that we were talking about in the end of the last episode. And let's see if we can identify who is the baddie. So first, Adam and Eve, they lose paradise by allowing the whisper of a demon to enter their thoughts. This is the shiny one, the serpent, the tempter, the accuser. Uh, a demon guides Eve's actions by suggestion, planting thoughts and deceiving her about who and what God is. So who is the enemy here in this fall? It is a spirit. And it's a bad one. Okay, next, let's move on to Cain. Cain lets sin master him. And he's told that sin lies in wait at the door. Its urge is for you, yet you can rule over it. But he submits to that demon by not battling it, not ruling over it. And this is the first mention of the word sin in Genesis in the Bible. And we think of it as an action we take. But consider this way of thinking about the word sin. This is a footnote from the UCCSB Bible. Um, the description of sin is striking. The Hebrew word translated as crouching in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 can indicate lying down as in resting, but also refers to lying in wait like a predator lurking for its prey. The same verb is associated with an ancient Semitic term for demons that were believed to guard entrances or doorways to buildings. Thus, the text characterizes sin as a demonic presence or a predatory animal waiting to pounce on Cain. So I prefer that translation of sin is crouching at your door. There's something there and you know what that feels like when you have an idea of doing something that you know you shouldn't. Um, so in the second fall with Cain, who is the enemy? Again, it is a spirit and it's a bad one. So we have both Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel dealing with a spirit, a bad one. Then we get to Babel, which means gate to God. The nations already exist in chapter 10 of Genesis, but in a few places in the Old Testament, we learn that each nation has its own ruling spirit that God has assigned angels or demons to the nations. Divine beings exist, literally called sons of God, also called members of the divine assembly. So these creatures are assigned to oversee the nations, but these spiritual sons of God are creatures. They are created like us with intellect and free will, but not bodies. What seems to happen is that the creatures become the local gods of peoples. Uh, humans began to offer worship to these gods instead of the real God. So the tower, of course, in Tower of Babel story is a ziggurat, which I've gone into in some detail in earlier episodes. And it's a holy place where pagan gods are worshipped. And that was where sex rituals or child sacrifices or various other things happened in the ziggurat. Uh, lots of rituals to bring the rain or, or fertility. And just... Who are the pagan gods being worshipped there? Well, they are not God. They are idols. It is idolatry. Um, I would have believed that they are figments of the imagination, 
but Jesus seems to imply repeatedly that these ruling demons are real. So these fallen spirits are overseers employed by God to watch the nations, um, just as we have our own guardian angels and demons tempt us. Somewhere along the way, people rejected God and started worshiping these overseers of the nations. Um, worse yet, the overseers started accepting worship from humans and also they had already rejected God. They were fallen. So after all, they are, here's the thing, the demons and, and the angels are under the same commandments as we are. And that's when we talk about that third temptation, we can see that that's true um, as Jesus causes the devil to flee once he quotes uh, scripture and that's what drives him away. And that's true in our own life. Uh, when you when you turn to God, the demons will flee. So the gate at Babel is not meant to send humans up to heaven. So if you build a tower to one of these gods, whether it's Saturn or Anu or Nana, the moon goddess, whatever, um, that's, it's not meant to send humans up to heaven. It's meant to pull God down from heaven. But in Babel, in this attempt, the people have been tricked. Uh, the watcher, the guardian, has become a fox in the hen house. The nations have been duped by these egotistical fallen angels who crave worship, and the humans want to start trying to be like them. The tower is built to these demons, and it's not built to God. So humans that build towers to anything but the one God, God Most High, have been sucked into a power play and fooled by these vending machine type of gods. And thus, the being set to guard and watch the nation, the being, the, the fallen angel, is corrupted itself. So he or she or it has fooled the rulers into idol worship. And in this third fall, who is at fault once again? It is a spirit. A bad one. So all three falls, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, Tower of Babel, we have a spirit, a bad one, as who is causing the trouble. Not only can we be fooled by spirits at an individual level, but we can as well at the group level. So trying to replace God or usurp God or disobey God at any level leads to division and strife. And this is the daily battle for ourselves and for the nations that we occupy. The war that we are in is not against other people. It's not even against other nations. It's against spirits. Other people are not the enemy. And this will come as a shock to internet users. The real enemy of Democrats is not Republicans and vice versa. If you understand this properly, it may open a door to understanding many, many things, including suffering, including the state of our world and understanding a lot of what is happening with Jesus in the gospel. Observe in the gospel how Jesus reacts to those who treat him terribly, those who treat him like dirt. Now, if someone attempted to kill me, I would probably get upset. But Jesus does not get angry at the people that try to throw him off a cliff. Nor does he get angry at the soldier who punches him in the face or the plural soldiers that scourge him with the whip. All of the mockery, the whole crown of thorns scene, he just takes it. And the cruelty pours over him like water, and he utters not a word in self-defense. And why does he do that? Why? He does that because these people are the lost sheep. 
They are the ones fallen into ditches and ravines. Under a constant spiritual attack, they struggle, but their time has not yet come to ask for his help. The shiny one is still whispering in their ear, and they are listening. Sin is crouching at their door. A false idol has their attention. All three of those falls, Adam, the shiny one, whispering in uh, Eve's ear, and his. Cain, sin is crouching at his door. The third one, Babel, a false idol has their attention. The people that are abusing Jesus don't recognize Jesus right in front of them, but he is inviting them to see him. In other words, all of these people need saving, and Jesus is here to save them. That's why he doesn't get angry at them, because they are under, they're under the spell, if you want to call it that. And Jesus shows us how to save people. It's not by competing with the cruelty of others, returning jab for jab or wound for wound. He shows us another way. And by not competing, he appears to be losing, but he is winning. He's winning for us all and showing us how to win, surrender to win. If you haven't heard that quote on this podcast 50 times, I haven't said it enough, surrender to win. Those throwing insults are the ones following the advice of the demons. Jesus points the way for us on how to opt out, how to reject that game, how to cancel our subscription to the whispers. He doesn't lash out at the demoniacs. He doesn't lash out at those who beat him. And he doesn't lash out at those who mock him. However, he does lash out at those who reserve God for themselves, who block the little ones from coming to him, and who, in Peter's case, try to impede his path to the cross. Of all people, he lashes out most at the Pharisees, of course, and he tells us why they are scolded. It's because he holds them to a higher standard, because, Luke 12, 48, much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. Jesus' sustained anger at the Pharisees suggests that they have been entrusted with much, but they have failed to live up to the demands. And this is a bit of terif- that's a bit terrifying to read. Uh, anyone who lives in comfort today should read this given much phrase and immediately see themselves as the recipient of much. So if you have a house, you have much. If you have a refrigerator full of food, you have much. If you have faith, you have everything. And if you have faith, more will be demanded because you have been blessed with a gift like no other that many, many people don't have yet. Jesus expects that those with the gift of faith will give that gift away because it is a bottomless gift that keeps giving. Like the baskets in the story of the loaves and fishes, you keep pulling bread out of it. However, if you hold the gift of faith to yourself, then it is pride and greed that do you in, or a kind of quietism where you just you keep it to yourself. Now, you don't go around coercing people into it either. That's even worse because you're just driving people away. Everybody knows that story or has an uncle or a relative or someone who tried to ram faith down their throat. It doesn't work, and it's not worth trying that way. It's not the loving way, and it's not the joyful way. Okay, so the whisper uh, of righteousness can be just as bad as the whisper to, say, eat from the tree that Eve hears or build a tower. Um, that, That whisper of you are perfect and you are righteous and better than those other people, that comes from a spirit and you have to fight back against that. 
So if you have the gift of faith, then you are a warrior. If you are baptized, you have the armor intended to help turn the tide back toward God in this long saga of salvation history. In our small role in the Great War, we all have a part to play, and the only weapon we need is faith. Uh, faith can guide free will to the right action. We are the gatekeepers of our thoughts, and we must slam the gate shut when evil attempts to enter. If the evil thoughts have already breached the castle walls, then you have to turn to God, pray to heaven, and fight off hell, fight like hell to retake the castle. And this is another great trick of the devil. He takes several angles at defeating us, like an army testing the lines of, of the enemy, checking for the weak spot. First, he tells us that demons don't exist. I don't exist. That's what the devil tells us. That's what the world tells us today. Next, the devil will tell you that your desire is not really a sin, but a culture of oppression or repression or a phobia invented by man. So he intellectualizes it. Then he convinces us that we are born this way. You're helpless to your sins. That's just the way it is. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just stuck. You have to have, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol and whatever else. So, and worse, worse, this is the, the great, probably the most tricky part of what the devil does. He will throw Bible verses at you. And you can see plenty of Christian preachers today acting as his puppets, advocating for the sins of pride, greed, sodomy, adultery, lust, and sloth. They're out there. Don't pretend they're not. Uh, you know they are. They're preaching things that are obviously against what God wants. So you have to stay tuned to the appropriate uh, teaching of, of the of the church. That's how you stay on the right path. The demons are real. They are real. The dragon is real. And God allows us to be tempted. That's the second thing to be under to understand. He gives us trials. That is our test to stand up to them and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Whenever anyone says, why would he do allow this? We don't know. But if anyone, especially in this age, as I mentioned, in gamer culture and American culture of loving a good challenge, you can't find a better one than this. Uh, one last thing, St. John of Damascus reminded us long ago that we are not helpless in this battle. Here's a quote from his book. But while the liberty to attack man has been granted to the demons, they have not the strength to overmaster anyone, for we have it in our power to receive or not to receive the attack. And with that, I'll conclude this episode and I'll repeat the old question, the title of this website, blog, podcast, why did Peter sink? We know why. It's because he looked away from God, from Jesus. That concludes this episode. We'll continue with this Tower of Babel series. I have a few more to go. Thanks for listening and hope to see you back for the next episode. Thanks.